Well, good morning. I'm glad you're with us this morning. If you have a, a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to turn with me as we look at Jesus' encounters this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 26. And if you're thinking, man, it seems like we've been in these chapters in Mark for a long, long time, I have to say my Bible would agree with you because this is now where Mark 8 is in my Bible. I have a, a special two-page edition of, from Mark, so that didn't work out so well for me. Mark chapter 8, we're going to see Jesus encounter the blind. Now, maybe you remember the last Sunday of 2017, Bill went in our junior high pastor spoke from Jesus encountering the deaf. Anybody remember that? Okay, he did something unique so that he could teach that passage with some understanding. If you weren't here, what he did was he spent a full day attempting to experience what it would be like to be deaf. He put noise-canceling headphones on, and everywhere he went, he, he wore those to get a sense of not being able to hear. And so when I came to Jesus encountering the blind, I thought, well, I can't be outdone by Bill. So I made a commitment. I've been in this passage for a month. I made a commitment from the first day I looked at this passage that I'm going to experience it as well. And so for a month now, every day for like seven hours, I've sought to experience what it's like to be blind. Seven hours each day for a month. Did I mention it was from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. that I... I had you. I had some of you. No, I, I don't misunderstand me. I'm not making light at all of the situation. In fact, we had Thursday night a guy who was legally blind, and and he was very appreciative of the time in the text this morning. And so, what we're going to see though is that when Jesus has the there's three encounters put together in this text. The the final encounter is clearly and obviously blindness. But there are two encounters prior that I think as it unfolds, you go, oh, these were not random encounters. There are three encounters with three different folks where blindness is present in all three. It's just only named very specifically in the final one. So look with me. If you have a Bible with you, if not, it'll be up on the screen here. Beginning in verse 11 of Mark chapter 8. The Pharisees, it says, came out and began to argue with him, that is Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. Speaking about the lake, they got in the boat, went to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread and Jesus, aware of this, said, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? They had to remember because they said what? Twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large basketfuls of broken pieces did you pick up? And they remembered, and they said, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And some of you are going, uh, no, <laughs> I don't. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. 
And then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and he began to see everything. How? Clearly. He said to his, and he sent him to his home saying, do not enter the village. Three types of blindness. Three encounters, a unique and blindness in each one. The first, blindness, and by the way, I think it's safe to say that multiple expressions of this sort of blindness was, is in the room. Thursday night, turned out I didn't know it, but we had all three. The first blindness is the blindness that belongs to the spiritually resistant, those who cannot see, or maybe more accurately to say it this way, those who refuse to see on a spiritual realm. It's in verse 11. The Pharisees came out and began to do what? To what? Argue. So they, they literally came out to engage with Jesus, but for the purpose of arguing with him. And demanding, seeking from him a sign from heaven, not in order to believe, but in order to test him. See, there is, not only in this account, but present on your streets, at your work, potentially in your family, the spiritually resistant. Those who who are glad to engage in spiritual conversation, but they want to engage spiritually, not not to learn, but to, to do what? To argue. You ever, you ever engage folks like that? I, I bet, I imagine, if you've had much spiritual conversation with a breadth of people, you find that there are sometimes folks who are curious. Sometimes people are ignorant, and I don't mean that in a bad word. I mean in its true sense that they don't know anything. They're hungry even. And then you have those who just want to debate, want to argue. They're not there to learn. They'd love to engage, but to argue the point. Spiritually resistant. Their point of approaching Jesus was for the point of argumentative, to be argumentative with him, to, to debate what was happening, to try to literally say, we want to discredit what's going on. You see, the sign that they wanted was not in order that they would believe. It was in order to discredit Jesus. Now, sometimes it's hard to know what to do in situations like this. When you find folks just argumentative, well, you you go, so do I continue on and press through? Or don't I? It's hard sometimes to know. In this situation, did you notice, what did Jesus choose to do? Verse 12, it says, sighing deeply, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? And it doesn't mean everybody in that generation. He's talking, why why does this generation, this, this group here, who all they do is want to argue, Why do they seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign, no soup. (laughs) No soup for you. He said, no sign for you. Why no sign? Because Jesus sees that what's happening here is not a hungry heart learning. This is an argumentative heart resisting. And he says, I am not going to engage. And in fact, right after he says this, what's the, what's the next verse say? What does he do? He leaves. He leaves. Because what he's acknowledging is that factual evidence, which is really what they're saying, a sign, sign factual evidence. Factual evidence is not going to bring conviction that leads to repentance. And after he leaves, he says this, very interestingly, in the boat with his disciples, he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
Now, do you know that in the Bible, leaven is symbolic always of sin? And this is a, these are what they would refer to as strange bedfellows. The Pharisees and Herod, the religious of all the religious, and Herod, the complete pagan egomaniac. Rarely would they ever have been grouped together. But Jesus actually says, I can group the sin of the Pharisees and the sin of Herod, and it's really one deal. It's the same thing. Watch out for it. What is it? Well, for both, he's saying, watch out for them because they are protecting Their argumentative nature, their intent to discredit is because they are protecting what is important to them. That's the commonality. Why was Herod, when he heard about the birth of Jesus, why was he threatened? Because he was claiming to be a king, and a king never wants to be threatened by another king. That's a threat. We talked about that, actually, if you were here Christmas Eve. Same for the Pharisees, though. Beware of what are they protecting? They are protecting their religious position in the society, in the culture. And Jesus was a threat to that. And therefore, their intent was not to learn from him, to join him. Their intent to was argue and discredit him so that they would not lose what was important to them. Now, this is not just historical. This is real today. You and I not only engage folks who are protective of what is important to them. And when Scripture, because there's no greater sign than this, folks. This is the greatest collection of the factual evidence that God is real and Jesus is who he said he was. And sometimes what this says is going to run up against what we want. And we may actually be part of the spiritually resistant at that moment because we want to protect what's important to us, what's important about our future, what is important about our present, what's important about what we desire. And we go, no, 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 I don't want the word of God speaking into that. That's being the spiritually resistant. That is the blind. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you open to embrace what God has revealed in his word? Or are you determined to protect what is important to you? Spiritually open, you see, spiritually blind. No, no, I'm resisting. This is the blindness that we see in the text. And really, this morning, in this second hour, here in south, over in north, there is... How many of you who are going, when the word of God is rubbed up and pushed against what's been important to you, you have resisted it instead of embraced it. You've held it off instead of saying, now, I believe (laughs) the evidence is overwhelming for who Jesus has declared he is and what he has done. I'm going to yield to it instead of resist it. That's the spiritual blindness that Jesus says, watch out for, watch out, protect, watch out for the sin of protecting self and resisting what God has clearly declared in his word. Second blindness is in the next encounter, Jesus leaves. And it says that when they left, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat With them. So, a loaf of bread for potentially more than a dozen guys. Is that enough? No, that's not enough. They were like, oh, uh oh, we forgot. And he was giving orders to them. So they're thinking, man, we don't have enough bread. Jesus speaks, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they think, ah, he knows that we blew it. And so they begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus says, What are you talking about? Why do you discuss that, that you have no bread? And they're thinking, you're the one who brought it up. You told us to watch out for it. 
But Jesus says, do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? You don't get what I'm talking about? Uh, no. It's like the two ships passing in the night. <laughs> Jesus is talking one level and they're thinking another level. And they're completely missing one another. <laughs> Jesus says, having eyes, do you not see? See, that's possible to have eyes but not see. Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Well, remember what? Well, when I broke five loaves, 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? And they actually, they did remember. They remembered that, that five loaves had fed 5,000 and they still had 12 baskets left over. And don't you remember when I broke seven for the 4,000? How many large basketfuls of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, I remember seven. <laughs> don't you not understand? No, I, I, really, when you read through this text, you go, I'm missing it. I, I'd like to, I wish I knew. I wish I could understand. This is Jesus is literally saying to them, you guys have eyes, but you don't see. What are they missing? Well, what we have here is not spiritually resistant people. We do have a blindness that belongs to spiritually immature people. In other words, don't you, don't you understand this? You ever say something to a little kid and they go, huh? Huh? I don't understand. And you go, oh, I got to rethink this. I got to say smaller words, shorter sentences. And the disciples are going, huh? Huh? No, we don't get it. Smaller words, Jesus. And no, it's not an amount of words. It's just, don't you remember? There's two things going on here with the disciples in Jesus that defines it, what it looks like when we are spiritually immature. Because they're not resistant. They, they are seeking to grow, but they're missing it. And what I see in them is what I see in me, and maybe it's what you'll see in you. First, they think primarily in physical terms, not spiritual terms. That's immaturity. Thinking primarily in physical terms. Jesus says, beware of the leaven. They go, bread. Mm. Oh, man, I'm a little hungry. <laughs> but he's not talking about their stomach. He's talking about their heart. Are you hard in the heart too? See, you and I, our spirits, we re reflect our immaturity. And, and I read the text and I go, I have to admit, I'm still immature at times. I, I look around and I experience what's happening at home. I experience what's happening in the church. And I tend to think physical instead of thinking spiritual. Do you believe that there's a spiritual warfare that happens, is very real, you just can't see it? Do you believe that? You'll never grow up in Christ until you believe that, that the Scripture declares there is a, a battle going on. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. There are principalities and spiritual forces of darkness waging war against us. Very practically, part of, part of maturing for us in our family, in our marriage, was Jackie and I beginning to recognize when there's brokenness in our relationship, it's not just, well, I want my way, you want your way, and we're going to, you know, see who wins. What we learned was that we actually wanted oneness. Our Savior and our God wants oneness in marriage. Who doesn't want oneness in marriage? Well, there is someone who doesn't want oneness in marriage, and Satan is the great liar and divider. And it was very powerful for us in our marriage to begin to speak in those moments of brokenness. You know, we're at odds right now, but ultimately we both want the same thing. So let's just agree together before the Lord that we don't have an enemy against one another. We have a common enemy against us. That, that could potentially really change how your marriage 
conflict went down, if you would begin to say, you know, we're actually for one another. We disagree about this, but we're, we're not one another's enemy. But we do have an enemy. So let's agree before the Lord. And literally, out loud, God, we know you want oneness, and we want what you want in our marriage, but we know that there is one who hates us and is trying to divide us, and we just want to ask that your presence would be most powerful in this conflict right now. I believe God bring unity. It'll take humility on your part, but we tend to always just go to, this, to the physical. We see stuff happening with our kids, and we think physical. Why not ask the, the question, what spiritual is going on here? Jesus said, beware of the leaven. Man, I'm hungry. Whoa, I'm not talking about your stomach. I'm talking about your heart. Anything going on in your life that right now you're going, wow, I've never considered that this might be something spiritual. I've been just stuck in what my eyes tell me and what my ears tell me. But I have eyes and I don't see and I have ears and I don't really hear what's going on here. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You've got eyes, but you're not really seeing what's going on here. The second is this. I'm spiritually immature when I fail to connect the work of Jesus, what he has done in the past, To what the current need is. That's a reflection of immaturity. I've experienced Jesus. I know what he's done. I have the scriptures. I know his greatness. I know his love. I know his power. I know that he is God of miracles as we declared. But somehow in the midst of my current situation, I go stupid and blind to all that stuff. And I don't connect it to that moment. I mean, here they are, let's say a dozen guys in a boat with a loaf of bread going, oh no. And they had literally just left the place where Jesus had done what? Fed 4,000 people with seven. What are we going to do? I mean, that, that is so absurd. Hey, wouldn't you, if you're Jesus, don't you just want to go, People, what is your problem? Seven fed 4,000 and you're concerned about a dozen of us with a loaf? Do you think I could handle this one? It's so obvious. You and I can look and go, these disciples are just so stupid at times. And then you review the resume of God's faithfulness in your life. And you review the resume of God's faithfulness through the ages. And you see how much he loves you and how much he is working for the sake of his children. And then you get in your current situation and you go, oh my God, I don't know what you're so good. And you go, oh, I guess I understand the disciples more than I point the finger at them. We all need to mature. Let's just admit that. You calling me immature? Yeah, of course I am. Calling myself immature. Because nobody gets to maturity without going through what? Immaturity. (laughs) Everybody starts immature. And then we grow towards maturity, but it's a lifelong process in all the different facets of life. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't you, rem- don't you remember the word? Remember. Don't you remember what I did in this situation? Can you connect the dots to this situation? Remember what I did then? Oh, yeah. And then? Oh, yeah. It's irrational. But some of us get stuck in our immaturity. I was stuck in a particular area of my own immaturity regarding fear and worry for lots and lots of years. And I am not like the king of no worry anymore. 
But I only began to experience genuine growth when I was willing to name my worry irrational. This doesn't make any sense. And when I was willing to see my worry as dishonoring a mockery of a faithful, good, heavenly father. Now it was not just, well, it's just who I am. It's kind of the way I'm built, and I got it from my mom. <laughs> I'm sorry, I blamed it on my mom. You know, she's worried, and I worry. You know. They don't laugh at me. You've done the same thing. You blame your <laughs> papa and your mama for all sorts of stuff. And you're just stuck there. And you need to bring the truth of what God has declared. There is no greater sign into the current that's maturing. And if you haven't done, haven't done that this far, I'm not here to kick you. I'm here to give you hope that you don't need to continue the rest of your life immature. You can have ears that hear, and you can have eyes that see, that see how what God has done in the past really sets me free in the current. But that's a continual process. A few weeks ago, from this stage here, I was talking from Romans 8, 28. God works together all things, God works together all things for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. The truth, the declared statement of God. And it was like, yeah, but I don't see it in this situation. I can't even imagine it. And it wasn't even that I was going, well, I know it's true, but I just can't see it here. It was like I was just totally unwilling to connect that truth to that situation. Immature. So can you see where you are immature this morning? Again, I'm not picking on it. It's just there's immaturity all over the room, starting here. Are you anxious or fearful or distracted by current circumstances, even though you know and have experienced God's faithfulness? It's where we need to grow up. And it begins by saying, Lord, this is not consistent with who you are. So I'm going to invite you to bow right now. We're going to come back to the text, but let's pause right now. Really, with, if you know there is a particular circumstance, situation going on in your life right now, you're losing sleep. You feel the tension in your shoulders, the tingling in your face. You know you're short because with others because you're just tense inside. I invite you right now to just say quietly there in your seat, Lord, I confess that is irrational lined up with who you are and what you have done on my behalf. I believe you love me. I believe you paid my penalty. I believe you're a good and perfect heavenly father. I trust you. I don't know how it's going to work out. I trust you. And Lord, as an expression of my trust, I say thank you for it. I give you praise for that has been causing me worry. God, would you grow us up? Grow us into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Jesus. That our lives of trust would be a joy-filled testimony of who you are and how great you are, God. Would people wonder at our peace, which surpasses all understanding because it's from you, because of who you are? Grow us up, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. There's a next 
very obvious encounter of blindness. And they came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after doing what? Spitting. See, you're reading your Bible, so you're not going. (gasps) You read that in the newspaper? You'd be like, what? I mean, he, he spit on his hand and then rubbed it in his eyes. No. That's not what he did. What did he do? What's it say? Spitting on his eyes. Unless Jesus was like an Olympic spitter of distance and target. You realize the proximity to spit on somebody's eyes? Because, I mean, you don't want to miss. I mean, I'm, I'm only making light of it so we can get the sense, the feel of that moment. To get close enough, recognizing that, again, I'm not making fun, recognizing that the guy can't see. Because you could probably see someone that about to spit at you. And he can't. He never knows it until it hits him in the eye. Ever been spit upon? Oh, that'll make you mad. That'll make you want to punch somebody. But the guy doesn't slug Jesus. See, he realized something else is going on here. But even though something else is going on here, this is still kind of, I mean, spit stinks. Have you noticed? He's spitting his eyes. Laying his hands on him, that's different, we'll see in a moment. Laying his hands on him, he asked him, you see anything? And I love his response. I see men like trees. <laughs> How does he know they're not trees? Because <laughs> they're walking. <laughs> what, what clearly is happening here? The guy can, went from blind to, to blurry, yeah. He went from blind to blurry. He can see, but not very clearly. He can see some big trees, some little trees, but he knows they're not trees. They're men because they're walking around. So Jesus again laid his hands where? Now this time, it said, last time it said on him, this time on his eyes, and he looked intently and it was restored. And now it was like, wow, I see that guy. That's a difference. I, I can literally remember when I went into Walmart and they put glasses on me. And I was like, I had no idea you could see the signs across the store. <laughs> literally. Yeah, it was so astonishing to me. I, I presumed that nobody could read the signs, that you had to walk to right under them to be able to read them. People have learned this about me, and they go, I sit in the back. That way you can't tell, me if, I, can't tell if I'm sleeping or not. <laughs> God's giving me sleeping eyes, I know. No. You know what? I, I, I knew what it was like to see fuzzy, except I didn't know it was fuzzy until I saw clearly. This is not the point of the text, but I do think as I meditated on this text, I went, I actually don't know I'm immature until I grow in maturity. Ever look back and go, oh, I'm embarrassed about myself. We rarely know our immaturity in the middle of it. When you're blind and you see blurry, it's like, I see. But when you see clearly, you go, wow, this is a brand new world. Sends him home. This encounter with the physically blind, the point is very obvious, and I don't want to underestimate or understate what Jesus does here. Is this is a blindness, the physically blind, and, and the point here is very simple. Jesus can heal. And I don't want to minimize that. Because every week, every hour, we have people who need healing. 
They need it for themselves, or they need it for their children, or they need it for a family member, or they have a next-door neighbor or a co-worker. Jesus can heal. But what I want to make sure you see in this one is that Jesus can heal you. It's one thing to believe theoretically Jesus can heal. There's another thing to believe that Jesus can heal you. To believe it personally. I have learned that not everybody wants to be healed. It's not a matter of lack of faith or... They have learned that their disability has been of great benefit to their heart. A legally blind man said, I don't want to be healed of my blindness. Because I asked him. He said, no, I was a horrible person before I lost my sight. And his wife agreed. And he said, I would rather be who I am and blind than who I was with my sight. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) That's seeing the spiritual over the physical. Do you believe, though, if you need healing and want healing that Jesus can heal you. Do you ask him? You know, we've said many times here at the chapel, if you're not new, I, I want to encourage you. I believe the prayer of faith goes like this. Lord, I believe you can, and so I ask that you will. I'm going to trust what you do and praise you no matter what. That's the prayer of faith. I believe you can, so I'm going to ask that you will. I'm going to trust you. As a reflection that I'm asking, I'll trust you. And a reflection that I'm trusting you is I'll praise you no matter what. But to say you have faith but not ask, I think you've deceived yourself. To say you're asking but refuse to then praise when you don't get what you ask, I think you deceive yourself. You're not asking. The prayer of faith is, I believe that you can, so I ask that you will. And I'll trust what you do by praising you no matter what. Do you believe he can heal you? Are you asking him and trusting him and praising him in the midst of the disease, in the midst of the brokenness? In this specific situation, we see that healing actually may be partial. And Jesus could have stopped there. He didn't. But if, if the blind man would have simply seen blurry, would that have been a healing? Yeah, if you're blind, you'd take blurry. It may be complete. In this situation, he went from blind to blurry to clear. I say this because when it comes to healing, I find many people reluctant to, even when God heals, then to believe that it was healing. Well, we'll see. They may get sick again. Whoa, whoa. Stop that. Stop right there. If someone is, has a disease and then it goes away but comes back, does that mean they weren't healed? That's absurd. Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, and then what happened? He died again. Oh, (laughs) big deal. Resurrected, he died again. What? That doesn't make any sense. None of us have discredited the resurrection of Lazarus because he died again. Why would you discredit a healing because a disease returned three years later? God, thank you for three years or three days or three weeks. I'm going to ask, believe, and trust, praise. 
for some, and it doesn't, this is not covered in this particular text, but according to the breadth of Scripture, we know that sometimes healing may be delayed until heaven. Sometimes the hope of heaven is ripened in our heart because of what we experience on this planet. Do you follow that? See, I, I understand a good and perfect heavenly father that wants me hungry for eternity, not hungry for the present. And I know my own heart can get really, really in love with the present. So I recognize when God goes, I want you to be hungry for eternity with me. So sometimes healing is delayed until heaven. Ask, and God will work as he chooses according to his wisdom and his perfect love for you. But one of the things that's, that's most significant to me in this text is it says, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. First, it doesn't define who the they is. But the blind man was dependent upon the they to get to Jesus because he can't find him. But it doesn't only say, and they brought a blind man to Jesus. The sentence is, and they brought a blind man to Jesus, and they implored him. You see, there's one thing for an individual to ask to God for God to heal, and it's another for a group to ask. It's not, it's not a formula. But I would suggest to you that if you have asked the Lord and he has not moved, that you would humbly invite others to ask with you. Oftentimes people don't want to take that step. Well, I don't want to go public. I don't want to verbalize it. I'm very reluctant. What I've discovered even in our body is if I'll give kind of a general invitation, if you need healing to stand, lots of people will stand. But what I invite you to go personally, invite two or three other people to pray with you, whoop, That's, I'm not there yet. This is, and, and they implored him. They implored him. A transformational moment for me in college was having some horrible, horrible nightmares. Like, horrible nightmares. And I asked the Lord to take them away, and they were happening every single night. Finally, I shared it with some other guys who I, who were good friends with me in college. And they made a plan. They didn't tell it to me. But that night when I went to bed, climbed in bed, and all of a sudden my door opened, and six guys came in, and they surrounded my bed, and they got on their knees. While I was laying in bed, it felt a little awkward, honestly. <laughs> I was like, uh, can I get out? And they're like, no, you stay right there. I laid in my bed. They surrounded the bed, and they they asked God to do what I had been asking God to do. It's not a formula, but all I can tell you is I never had a nightmare again. Yeah, it was a hallelujah. But sometimes, you know, I'm immature and I miss it. And so Jackie, some of you know her mom died just a couple of weeks ago. She, she, was, she knew her mom was passing. She climbed in bed with her and was in bed holding her when her mom passed from this life since she's been home, she's been having just a real wacky dreams, not able to sleep. And I had prayed for her, and she had prayed. I finally shared it with the staff, and that night, put my hands on her, and we out loud together asking, it's not a formula. But the dreams, those horrible things that weren't allowed, passed. So I'm calling us to not live such private lives that we're willing to ask, but we're not willing to allow others to ask. It's not a formula. Don't, don't let, I'm not building up a false assurance here. We don't twist God's arm. I think he is blessed. God gives grace to the humble. 
And so, both this morning and every morning going forward, please hear me. If you're asking the Lord, don't hesitate to go to the next step and pause. Every Sunday after every hour, we have men and women who literally wait there and watch hundreds of people walk by them with all sorts of needs who never ask them to pray with them. And that's the very reason they're there. It, it strikes me as odd. It's why they're there. Humbly ask them to pray with you. It's not a formula, but it is how we are to function body, as a body, imploring Jesus together. The confidence that, that God has conquered sin and death by which we have the freedom to ask is because Jesus paid the penalty and conquered sin and death on the cross. And so we're going to do together what Jesus said his disciples. Don't you remember you're going to remember the death of Christ on our behalf by sharing in the Lord's Supper together. You're going to ask the men to come forward, and as they pass the bread, remember, it's the, it's the symbol, the reminder of the broken body of Christ so that we who are broken could be healed. Did you hear that? Did you tune me out because you think, oh, we're changing now? We are trusting that that bread is a reminder of the body of Christ who was broken so that we who are broken can be healed. And the blood is, the, is symbolically represented in the cup by which, through the blood of Jesus, sin might be forgiven. And so, Thanks. as you wait to receive them or as you have them and you hold them, I want us to, and Matt's going to lead us, to declare what we believe about Jesus. And then I invite you to ask, if you need healing, that you would ask Jesus. And after the service, I invite you. People are there for prayer. Allow them to implore with you. Let's right now, though, declare what we believe about Jesus.
work of Jesus is not a past tense issue. It's present tense. The power to heal when? Now. The power to forgive when? Now. So let me invite you to bow with me. And, and if there is a sin that is unconfessed in your life, that you would confess it now. That you might experience forgiveness now. If you're in need of healing of some kind, would you implore him now to supernaturally, the God of miracles, to touch your body? Father, we remember now the greatness of your love for us expressed in Jesus. And we rejoice that your love could not be greater or bigger. <laughs> your love for us is perfect. So we give you praise in the midst of the hard, in the midst of the good. We give you praise because we trust you, Jesus. Thank you for your death on our behalf. We take remembering you in Christ's name. Let's take together.